Support for KUAF comes from Westwood Gardens, offering mini and large pumpkins, ornamental squash, and corn stalks, as well as mums for fall decorating. Westwoodgardens.com for more. Little Wing Productions presents Robert Cray, October 1st at 7.30 at the Auditorium in Eureka Springs with special guest Seth Lee Jones. A five-time Grammy winner and Blues Hall of Fame inductee, Cray has been performing for nearly five decades with hits such as Smoking Gun and Right Next Door. Tickets at tickets.thundertix.com. This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, September 22nd, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellams. Later this hour, author Roland Smith talks about how working at a zoo actually prepared him to write both fiction and nonfiction for kids. That's coming up later. Right now, on the road is Michael Tilly. He has pulled his car over to talk with us. You're in Ozark, I believe? Yes, sir. Mike, hidden gems of the state. Well, not really hidden. It's right on the interstate, but pretty city. Yeah, and it's a very pretty city and some, some good food in Ozark as well. Um, yeah. Michael is with Talk Business and Politics. Most Fridays we talk about uh, some of the week's news. That's what we're going to do this time. Let's start with Crawford County and the library, Michael. It's uh, not a new subject for us, but there's been a new development. What is it? Well, it all stems from, you know, last year when a few uh, evangelical types were not happy that they were having, that they had LGBTQ books uh, in the library, in the Crawford County library system. So they, had the books moved to a what's called a social section, uh, essentially hidden. Tammy Hamby, the leader of that effort, was able to get herself on the board, on the Crawford County Library Board as board chairman, no less. But as expected, when you essentially censor books, their lawsuits ensued. Uh, also, the Crawford County Library director um, resigned, although there are still some of us think that she had a choice to either resign or be fired, but she resigned. They had to pay her severance. Recently, um, the Crawford County judge um, had to request another $112,000, a little over $112,000. Chris Keith is the judge to cover legal bills, cover legal fees. And that brings their tally up to around $245,000, if not a little more. So $245,000 Crawford County has had to spend. Uh, and this is the county. It's not the library system. Uh, for, for most of it's from the county, to defend against lawsuits. Now, there is one lawsuit they've already lost. That was the Act 689, where Crawford County was kind of enjoined with the state, part of the state, when um, federal judge Timothy Brooks essentially allowed an injunction against the law going in place. That was the law that essentially where state legislators and, and Governor Sarah Sanders signed on, essentially gave libraries the ability to censor books. And so... Um, that law has for now been stopped, but that will continue. There's also a lawsuit filed by Brian Metters, and it's very similar to a lawsuit he filed many years ago. I don't know if your listeners remember when Cedarville High School wanted to block or ban Harry Potter books because right. they were going to lead kids to witchcraft. And so it's all the same constitutional arguments uh, are there that he's filed. So that, that lawsuit is still pending. And on top of all this, if you remember Crawford County – had a little snafu in filing some paperwork, mm-hmm. and it's going to miss out on about $3.5 million at some point between later this year and early next year in tax revenue. Anyway, it, it just proves that it can be – if you want to censor books, 
based on your religion, I guess you just need to be prepared to pony up. Unfortunately, this is taxpayer dollars, and I suspect that not all taxpayers uh, in Crawford County, not all Crawford County residents, um, support supported that action by Tammy Hanby and her followers, but they're all paying up. As the costs and the lawsuits mount up, do you get a, any sense that there's an idea like let's let's change tactic, let's retreat, let's 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 not do this? We're not hearing it yet. And keep in mind, Gentry Walmart, the uh, Walmeyer, the attorney who's no longer the attorney, by the way, they've hired a new attorney for the Crawford County Library System. He told them when they were doing it, don't do it. It's you're probably you're going to lose. Uh, you're going to get hit with lawsuits and you're going to lose and it's going to be expensive. He tried to tell them not to do it, but they did it. So here we are. All right. Speaking of money mounting up, money mounts up in the Arkansas tourism sector. Talk business and politics has the tourism ticker that keeps track of both jobs and financial income related to tourism. First half of the year, another banner first half of a year. It, it, it's, it is another banner year. And I want listeners to keep in mind that the 2020, excuse me, the 2023 numbers are up against what was just a record setting, almost at all levels, a record setting 2022. And so um, just keep that in mind. For example, last year's 2%, uh, Arkansas 2% tourism tax was up over 17%. It was up 17% over 2021. Well, this year, through the first six months of the year, that tax has generated $12.7 million, and that's up almost 9% compared to that robust 2022. June uh, set a new record for collections of $2.7 million for that 2% tourism tax. And of the 17 cities we survey, their hospitality tax collections uh, were almost $35 million, and that was up 8.6%. Uh, and again, that was up against records set last year. And on the jobs front, there was an average of 100. There's been an average of 128,900 jobs every month in that sector for the first six months, and that's up six and a half percent. That's a healthy gain. And and to give you some sense of direction, the August uh, job numbers came out just a few days ago, and the Arkansas the Arkansas the leisure and hospitality sector, which is essentially tourism, set another record for employment of 133,900 jobs. Now, these, these numbers could be revised every year at the beginning of every year. Um, federal, um, there are re- revisions at the federal level, level to job numbers, but even if they're revised down a few percent, it's still just an amazing, amazing year. And um, one of the things that's interesting, the top five counties for that 2% tourism tax collection include, of course, uh, Benton, Washington, and Sebastian County. So it's this um, the, the northwest Arkansas part is pretty healthy. Of course, Pulaski and Garland are the other two counties that make up the top five. But it's just I had a friend. It was an uh, interesting story. He said, you know, the tourism industry was the hardest hit during COVID. And he said the tourism industry is kind of like the Hulk. It got pissed off from COVID and <laughs> just got angry. And now it's blown up into this Hulk of a sector. And I thought, well, that's a pretty good. OK, I'll, I'll go with that. I like that. Uh, uh, The Marshalls Museum. Remember when we were talking about tens of millions of dollars towards their big fundraising goal? Now it's under $2 million with a a new gift from who? Yeah, well, from the Arkansas Attorney General, Tim Griffin, gave him $250,000. It'll go toward uh, exhibition support. In this reporting, um, and this happened this week, we asked the uh, Museum Foundation, Susan Nyman, 
uh, and I may be pronouncing it correct, incorrectly, but their uh, capital campaign goal um, is now, which was $50 million when it got started. And I can remember, and as you can, I'm sure, Kyle, that you know, just slowly ticked down mm-hmm. and you never thought they were going to get there. But now it's under $2 million for the initial capital campaign. Now, we've been told once they hit that, uh, as most of your listeners know, fundraising never ends right. at a museum. But um, that initial capital campaign, which not only helped build the facility, but gives them some operating fund money. But they're getting very close. And we've been told by several folks there that the interest really, uh, interest from potential donors really begin to peak when the museum was opening and now that it's open. So, that, you know, people can now see it. Sometimes it's hard to get people to support something they can't see. But once you see it, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I want to be a part of this. So, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully that will continue for the for the Marshalls Museum here in downtown Fort Smith. Uh, I'm in public radio. I know the concept of the fundraising never ends. <laughs> <laughs> I can relate. Yes, yes sir. <laughs> All right. Um, I hate to tell you, but you'll love to hear that autumn officially arrives early Saturday morning, somewhere between one and two o'clock tomorrow morning. So congratulations, you made it through summer. Well, I'm just I'm just glad to see to no longer see a nine at the front of the temperature <laughs> thing. Yeah. That's my that's what makes me happy. Michael Tilley is with Talk Business and Politics. You can read about what we've talked about and so much more at talkbusiness.net. Continued safe travels, Michael. Talk to you next Friday. I will do that. You're welcome, sir. As a KUAF listener, your support helps take reporters to where the story is happening so you can stay informed. In Watts, Oklahoma, for Ozarks at Large, I'm Jack Travis. A half dozen toddlers are very busy this morning inside Little Lions Child Development Center on the University of Arkansas Fort Smith campus. It's a warm September afternoon in Fayetteville, and I'm waiting at the bus stop near the Fayetteville Public Library. Caroline Spear, the museum's executive director, takes its brass-colored elevator to the collection storage floor. Um, This is going to be warm up here. From the River Valley to Oklahoma, Northwest Arkansas, and beyond, we go there to bring you the news you need. But we can't do that without your support. Make a gift today to keep the Ozarks at Large team out in the field and on your radio. Head over to supportkuaf.com and make a contribution now. And thanks. And thank you for your continued support of your public radio station, 91.3 KUAF, our annual Autumn On Air fundraiser begins Monday morning. Ahead on Ozarks at Large, writer Roland Smith has a devoted following after writing for young readers for decades. And while he's best known for fiction, he's written nonfiction too. I said, I want to write a book that kids are get their science report, take it down, and start reading it with very low expectations and find out that it's actually pretty entertaining because it's I'm in the book. Roland Smith spoke at the Benville Public Library last weekend, and he sat down with us then, too. Our conversation in about six minutes on today's Ozarks at Large. Kylie Minogue's new album, Sparkle, Shimmies, and Shines Light on that pop star underneath the disco ball. We all have our struggles, and I had to get through those lows and really believe in myself even when I wasn't sure. Just find that resilience and keep going. Tension and all the latest news, Saturday on Weekend Edition from NPR News. Weekend Edition with Scott Simon tomorrow morning from 7 to 9 on 91.3 KUAF. 
New rules governing school safety in Arkansas are nearing final approval. State education officials received no comments from the public in a hearing yesterday. Among the new rules are that schools implement annual lockdown drills, provide floor plans to first responders, and require school resource officers to undergo 40 hours of training. Public comment is open until September 29th, after which the rules will go to the State Board of Education for approval. A new report indicates Arkansas's four largest metro areas continue to do well economically. The Compass report, published by Talk Business and Politics, gives grades of A- to Central Arkansas and B- to both Fort Smith and Northwest Arkansas. The Jonesboro Metro earned a B- in the latest report. It measures eight metrics, including unemployment rate, sales tax revenue, and concentration of manufacturing jobs. The full report can be found at talkbusiness.net. The Fayetteville Public Library is launching a new membership program that gives patrons access to the library lobby, equipment, and select materials after hours. The program is called FPL+. Kathleen Lehman is circulation manager at the library and says the after-hours option, which launched in early September, is already up to 40 users. But the response, the sign-up has been more than we expected because we had a small test group um, last month who just kind of made sure our sign-up process worked. And then we launched the day after Labor Day, and like I said, we've got almost 40 um, members at this point, which was definitely more than I was expecting. And I think it shows that there was that desire to have some access to the library um, during those extended hours. Any library cardholder is eligible to apply for the program for free, as long as they don't have any current fines and are in good standing with the library. The program allows users access to the Mountain Street Lobby from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. through an electronic keypad. They do have to sign an agreement, um, just agreeing to some of the terms of, you know, they'll behave when they're in here. They'll only let themselves in and use those services. And it's for patrons who are in good standing, so don't have anything billed on their account or don't have a history of kind of issues. Um. Layman says members will also be able to access the book holds locker personal laptops, Wi-Fi, and copying and printing services. We're trying to reach patrons who maybe find it difficult to get here in the week or just kind of extend some of those times. I know um, before I worked here, I certainly would have used it on Friday afternoons or evenings. We close at 5, and sometimes getting off work and getting over here to grab your hold from the holds locker, it's hard to get here at that time. So it's just finding some times that maybe people are looking for library services when the library isn't open. Layman says anyone 18 years or older can apply in person at the library's welcome desk. Applicants must present a photo ID and their library card, and she says applications take at least 24 hours to process. Eureka Christian Health Outreach and Echo Village celebrating the opening of the Christopher P. Epley Hospitality House Sunday. Echo Village is a low-income housing development in Eureka. They provide affordable cooperative housing to homeless residents, veterans, and first-time jail offenders in Carroll and Madison Counties. Brats and burgers will be served from 4 until 7. The outreach organization also operates a free clinic and thrift store. You can learn more about the organization and the event at echofreeclinic.org. The principal chief of the Cherokee Nation says a new executive order is designed to increase the rate at which the tribe hires Cherokee citizens participating in Cherokee Nation career and education programs. Principal Chief Chuck Hoskin Jr. signed the Affirmative Action Executive Order in Tahlequah yesterday. It establishes a preference within the Cherokee Nation Employment Rights Act to employ participants of the tribe's career services and higher education programs and requires the tribe's career services and education services departments to develop performance measures.
And by every measure, last night's Arkansas-Alabama soccer match was a Razorback success. The number 11 Razorback shut out the number 5 Crimson Tide 5-0 in front of a record-setting crowd of more than 3,300 fans, the largest in program history. The five-goal margin is also the largest against a ranked opponent in program history. This is Ozarks at Large. Before almost every interview I do to get my audio level set, I ask three basic questions. What's your name and what title or identifier would I use with you in conjunction with the story I'm working on? Basic information. Then I almost always ask, what's the first movie you remember seeing in a movie theater? It's a nice little icebreaker. Might start a conversation. Sometimes, though, it turns out it's a great real first question for an interview. Like last weekend in Bentonville, when I was interviewing author Roland Smith. What's the first movie you remember seeing in a movie theater? Um, uh, one of the first was um, The Day of the Triffids, which I wrote about in my most recent book. I saw it. You know, it came out in 51, but I saw it after that scared me to death. In case you didn't quite hear, he said Day of the Triffids, an apocalyptic tale about an aggressive species of plant eradicating humankind. And as you heard, that movie, more than 60 years later, finds its way into his latest book. More about that in a bit. Roland Smith has written dozens of books for young readers, mostly fiction, but some nonfiction and some picture books, too. If you know a young reader, chances are they know Roland Smith. His series include The Wilds, about a family whose parents are scientists working to save endangered animals, the IQ Adventure series, and a set of novels about twins Grace and Marty, who, along with their uncle, search for mysterious and legendary beasts like Chupacabra. His book Elephant Run is an adventure set in Burma during World War II with Asian elements at the core of the story. He's also written standalone novels and the recently published nonfiction book They Are Here about invasive species. He writes so well about people interacting with animals in nature because he's lived that life. He's worked at zoos and in the wild. He's been a research biologist. He grew up in Portland but now lives in Bentonville. And last Saturday, he spoke at the Bentonville Public Library. Before his public talk, I sat down with him and asked him about that book, They Are Here, about invasive species. When you're working with the wildlife, you run into a lot of invasive species. And before we moved to Bentonville, we lived on a, a good-sized farm, you know, and we had invasive species there as well. And so I've always been kind of fascinated with them. And a publisher called me up a couple of years ago and they said, will you, will you write a book on invasive species? And I said, a nonfiction book? They said, yeah. And I, I've written 10 nonfiction books, but it's been years that since I've done it, I've written mostly novels since then, 30 something. And uh, you know, they, I found out early in my career that I liked writing them, but they didn't sell very well. There's really a teeny market for that. You, it's an institutional market to schools and the shelves in libraries don't have many nonfiction books, and more importantly, trade doesn't have a tremendous amount of nonfiction books for kids. And they said, "Well, you just write a little one, you know, 64 pages." And I said, "Well, if I'm going to write another nonfiction book, I'm going to make it a big book, or certainly bigger than 64 pages. I don't want the standard 
this is a Burmese python, this is a, you know, feral pig, you know, I mean, I know all those things, and I said there's like dozens of books like that that the kids check out to do their science report, and so they get checked out once a year, and they pick their species, and they write about it. I said, I want to write a book that kids are get their science report, take it down, and start reading it with very low expectations and find out that it's actually pretty entertaining because it's I'm in the book. So I write a lot about myself in the book, and it's sort of this sort of monologue about my career as a zoo guy and a research biologist and with humorous stories. And so I tried to make it kind of not sensational but entertaining. So in a way it's, I don't know if you're familiar with term, there's metafiction where the author puts themselves in. My, my book is meta nonfiction. And I love that book just because I've never been able to write about myself. I mean, there's obviously me and my character, me and some of my characters in my novels, but never directly like, this is Roland Smith and this is what happened to me. You were a writer that I wish when I was 9, 10, 11 that had been around. I did read Hardy Boys. I read some Nancy Drew, which were great, but I was looking for something a little more, a little less staid, maybe? That's what I do. I mean, I I write the books, the kind of books I would have loved to read when I was young, you know, and, and, and when I found those, they were great, but back then, a long time ago, there just weren't that many of them because there was the Hardy Boys, which were entertaining, and, and Nancy Drew was fine, but it was girls, and so, you know, I mean, as a fourth, third grader, it was like, eh, okay, but, but um, and then you get through those series, and then there was no backup, you know, publishing, as you know, changes, every two years about, I mean, some new trend comes in and, you know, vampires are hot, fantasy's hot, you know what I mean? And everything kind of changes. And and I always liked thrillers, adventures, and mysteries to read those. I mean, that was kind of my genre. And I tell kids, you know, they go, I don't know what to write. And I go, you should write the kind of book you like to read. What is What are the challenges of writing a series where you've written about these characters in a few books, and now you're writing them again. You got to make sure there's continuity there because you've got attentive readers. Well, you do, and for me, that's hard because I don't read my books again. Well, I do when I'm doing a series, so I mean, I'll make sure that I remember what actually finally ended up in the book, you know, because you go through many edits and, you know, you have to kind of pick up the details and stuff. And um, series are kind of easier to write in that uh, I write character driven stories. Well, I already have the characters. Does that make sense? So I don't have to spend weeks or months inventing these characters. I already know who they are. So in that sense, it's, it's easy. I do not like doing the um, backstory from the first book, but you have to do that just in case someone doesn't read number one and they're reading number two and they can know what's going on. And so inserting all that kind of stuff in the narrative, you just want to get on with the story, number two, but you but you have to kind of go back and refer to what happened, the adventure that happened in the first book a little bit and touch on it because, you know, you don't, after book one, you don't really have a series fan because there's only book one. Mm -hmm. And then they read book two and they might check it out of their school library or whatever and not realize it's book two and that this is story first. And you've really got to kind of help them along because they're obviously going to talk about the first adventure, but in order 
to do that, you need to sort of explain to the reader how that happens. When I did, you mentioned Cryptid Hunters. In the first Cryptid Hunter books, called Cryptid Hunters, the, the two main characters, the boys, are graphic novelists. And I had talked to the publisher and said, hey, look, here's what I want to do. It would have been brilliant. But anyway, they, 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 they said, I said, you know, I wrote Cryptid Hunters, and I'm going to write three more. What I, what I want to do is in the first part of book two, which is Tentacles, I want to do a graphic novel of the first book so that I, lazy me, doesn't have to try to insert all that junk into the narrative and we just pop right into the story. And um, we kind of got right down to it. And it was a few years back and they said, well, I don't know, you know, graphic novels are not popular. If you can believe that, you know, they they were just kind of getting, getting kind of started up, you know, and they said, well, uh, that's great, Roland, can you draw? I go, no, I can't draw. You'd have to hire someone a lot more talented than me and, you know, have them summarize the story. I said, not the entire story, but I mean, just kind of a short kind of a thing, and then I can just hop into the thing. They didn't do it. They wouldn't do it. So again, I had to go through each of those books and then put in a bunch of stuff that I'd already written about and, and try to do it in a way where it kept the, the story moving. You work at a zoo, and I'm curious, what did you do while you were employed at a zoo? I started working at the Portland Zoo when I was 18 years old. I was just a kid, you know, trying to get money for college. And um, unbeknownst to me, I, I turned out to be really good with animals. And not in a Dr. Doolittle way, I was just sort of ignorant and not really afraid of them and read a lot of books about them and sort of figured things out. So when I was a kid, I was the guy that the older keepers were trying to get killed, <laughs> pretty much. You know, they'd say, well, the bear's out. And I go, yeah. And they go, we want you to go in there and get the bear. And I go, okay. You know, I mean, I say, well, how do, how do you catch a bear? They go, we don't know. So you go in, and it's a black bear, which is not a big deal. And I figured out how to how to get it back in its cage and came out. And they'd be out there with first aid equipment. You know, this is the old-time zoos. And I'd come out, and I was kind of a street smart kid, and they go, did you get the bear in? I go, I did. And they go, well, how'd you do it? And I go, I don't know. Just like they said, and walk away. So I was that guy. I was really good with animals, I think. And um, well, I was at the, I thought I'd stay at the zoo for about a year, but I ended up staying at the Portland Zoo for 10 years. And when I left, I was the senior feline keeper in charge of the lions and leopards and tigers, oh my. And I spent a lot of time working with wolves and other carnivores. Uh, then I went off and I became a curator of mammals and birds at a zoo in Tacoma, Washington, called the Point Defiant Zoo and Aquarium. And I came, became, I was the general curator. I was in charge of the zoological department. But what I did mostly at Point Defiant Zoo, I was their senior research biologist. And I started getting into reintroduction programs. And so I reintroduced the red wolf back into the wild. It was extinct. And so I was the species coordinator, stud book keeper for the United States. So when I was working at Point Defiant Zoo, I was the assistant director, and I was the worst assistant director ever because I was never there. I was always out in the field in the southeastern United States, and I'd fly in after being gone for months, and my director would pick me up and go, hey, you know, we're having this event tonight. Do you think you can go get some cookies for the event? And I go, no. Nah. 
you know, he's a good friend. But he goes, I knew that. So they actually hired another assistant director. So he had a real assistant director, and then he had, you know, kind of me, and, and I was pretty well-known because of the Wolf program and stuff like that. They liked having me there, even though I wasn't there very much. And uh, so I worked up with animals for over 20 20 years, 22 years, something like that. I'm going to guess that when you're 18 or 28 or 38, you're not thinking these experiences will necessarily be in books, but then you read something like Elephant Run, and I don't think that could have been written necessarily if as perhaps as easily had you not worked with animals. No, not at all. I mean, the animals kind of gave me my career. I mean, I don't always write about animals, but oftentimes I do, you know, put animals in here and there, and that's all based on my personal years of experience of working with those animals and, and lucky that was a lucky thing for me you know I mean so yeah it's, it's been a valuable deal I mean I wouldn't be able to write the invasive species book I mean I could have written it meaning I could have looked everything up like you know people who are not in the not me do and then put it down and it, it's okay it works but it's not quite as there's some subtleties, I think, in, in having experience that you get to put into books that other people don't have the advantage of because they they aren't me. They didn't spend 20 years dealing with animal problems every single day, you know. And so that's one of the things, you know, I don't, I'm not that skilled, but I have real deep knowledge of that. You're a fan of history? I absolutely, yeah. And I wrote Elephant Run because I'm really interested in World War II, but I, nobody had written... Elephant Run, just to explain to the listeners, is a book that takes place during World War II in Burma, Southeast Asia, now called Myanmar. And during World War II, the Japanese took over Burma. It's a big, brutal story. And um, I'd written a book called Thunder Cave, which is about African elephants, who I worked with in Africa and in captivity. And I also worked with Asian elephants, and I wanted to write an adventure novel about Asian elephants. And so... Um, I went to Burma and spent a month in the forest with elephants working with them. And I wanted to write the, the Pacific theater for kids because most of the World War, there's lots of them for kids, are about the Nazis and, you know, that whole thing. Europe, but it was, it was a world war. And if anything, well, you know, our war with Japan, that part of it started before the European War officially and it was longer and actually more brutal. That's it, you know, that's based on experience. You know, I spent a month in the jungle with a bunch of Asian elephants, forest elephants, and I wrote a nonfiction book about that, but the nonfiction contract was actually, uh, I got it so I could go to Burma for a month. You know, they pay you advance, and I went there and did the research for the nonfiction book, took the photographs, wrote the nonfiction book, and then got to the real reason I wanted to go over there, which was to write Elephant Run. We talked about Dave Triffitt's. You saw it as a kid. It influenced you. Stayed with you through decades to the beginning of this book. Do you ever think about their kids who were, or other, you know, older people, reading a book of yours that stays with them for a long time? I think, you know, I, I'm old enough now. I've been around a long time and doing this for over 30 years. That I hear from uh, adults who read my books. It's very thrilling to hear that and say, you know, I, I still reread Peak and I'm 30 years old. And that really had a huge 
influence on me, and not only the story itself, but in uh, but becoming a reader. And that's great. I mean, that's really why I do it. It's not the, the money or the recognition so much as that I'm really trying to create readers when I write a book, like I am. And, and, and uh, I think everything good that's ever happened to me was because of books or a book or, or being a reader. And I still read. I read two or three books every week. I've done that for over 60 years. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. It was great. Roland Smith is the author of dozens of books for young readers, including the recently published nonfiction book about invasive species, They Are Here. I spoke with him last Saturday at the Bentonville Public Library before he delivered a public talk. Much more about him and his books can be found at rolandsmith.com. Speaking of libraries, thanks to the Fayetteville Public Education Foundation for asking me to emcee their annual Hall of Honor induction ceremonies that took place at the Fayetteville Public Library last night. Like every year, it's a great night celebrating education and community. Congratulations again to the 2023 inductees, Dr. Daniel Stonewall Stoney Anderson, Mary Frances Crutchmar, and Chatty Comfy Platt, who was once the membership director at 91.3 KUAF. My appreciation to everybody who was there with us last night. Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, kicks off its 69th season Saturday, September 23rd at Walton Arts Center. Performing under the baton of maestro Paul Haas, Sona musicians present Great Romantics, featuring Leonard Bernstein's Symphonic Dances from West Side Story and Sergei Rachmaninoff's Symphony No. 2. Tickets and more at sonamusic.org. The Scott Family Amazium invites guests to make, tinker, and explore with regional mechanics, craftspeople, and artists at Tinkerfest, Saturday, September 23rd from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Featuring hands-on activities for the whole family, celebrating technology, engineering, art, and more. Information at amazium.org. It's Friday, and it's time to think about the weekend and perhaps a few days beyond to help us do that. Becca Martin-Brown, arts and entertainment editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Becca, welcome back to Ozarks at Large. No, no, too much. Just no, no. What? This weekend is crazy. Yeah. Yes. And even for here, it's crazy. Yeah. It's the Format Festival in Bentonville. Yep. It's Bikes, Blues, and Barbecue all over northwest Arkansas. Yep. Lots of it in Eureka Springs this year. Yep. There's a new craft festival in Bella Vista. Yep. It's the Fall Festival in Fort Smith. <laughs> I'm tired just thinking about it. Yeah. And that's not everything. But No, and I've got a whole list of things. But there's one thing that I really want our listeners to to go and see. It's already open. Story doesn't run in What's Up Till Sunday, but you got to go. What is that? It's an exhibit that is, of all the weird places, at Arkansas Children's Northwest in Springdale. Yes, beyond the diagnosis. I went to it uh, the day before it opened. I got a little preview, and it's you're right. It's well worth your time. Forty images, painted images of kids who have some of the 7,000 rare diseases that have no real treatment and no cure. Mm-hmm. And one of them is a Northwest Arkansas kid. Matthew. Matthew, who loves nothing more than his bike, his school bus, his Yorkies, and to steal your nose. <laughs> and and um, the way this works, beyond diagnosis, it's a national organization and um, professional artists in each of the communities where the subject is going to be painted 
it's a professional artist from that area who who creates the images. And it's cool because it puts a face to these things. Mm -hmm. They call them orphan diseases because they say drug companies don't want to adopt them to cure them. So it puts faces to that. And it's... I hardly ever just get, like, teary emotional over a story, but this is one of them. They're open 8 to 8 through the 29th of September at Arkansas Children's Northwest, enter through the main hospital entrance, and it says bring your government-issued ID. Right. Anytime you go into Children's Northwest, you stop at the, you know, the welcome desk, and they ask for your ID so they can copy the image, your your image, and you wear that sticker. And then it's, you know, you go down a floor. It's in a what's usually a conference room, but it looks like an art gallery. They have really done a great job. I'm just, I'm really excited about that one. And it's For free. everything else, we're going to start in Bella Vista and work our way south. Okay, Bella Vista. Today and tomorrow from 8 to 4, there's a fundraising garage sale at the Bella Vista Historical Museum. There's also a book sale to benefit the Friends of the Bella Vista Library from 8 to 5 today and tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But it is not at the library. It is at 1 Eccleston Lane. Then there's the new Northwest Arkansas Festival that has arts and crafts and barbecue and music. And it's 9 to 6 today and tomorrow, 9 to 1 on Sunday at 1991 Forest Hills Boulevard, which is where the Bella Vista Arts and Crafts Festival used to be if you'd like Southern Direction. (laughs) <laughs> right. It is free $5 parking. It's Tinkerfest Saturday at the Amazium. Yeah. Where, yes, part of your museum admission, 24 activity stations where you can make and build and hammer and saw. It just sounds lovely. It does. 10 to 5 on Saturday. It's $12 for adults and kids two and older. On to Rogers, which is home to Bikes, Blues, and Barbecue this year. And so much happening with Bikes, Blues, and Barbecue. The food court and the vendors are at the Rogers Convention Center and at Pig Trail Harley-Davidson on the north side. Is that the north side of town? Off Hudson Road. Mm -hmm. The Frisco Inferno Barbecue Competition is downtown at South First Street, just south of Cherry. There's music at Butterfield Stage next to Rail Yard Park all weekend. There's all sorts of events in Eureka Springs, Bikes Blues, and BBQ.org. Saturday night and Sunday in Rogers, Theater Collective, which is doing so much theater it's hard to keep up with them, is doing a night of one acts. Where will this take place? This is at Brick and Mortar. It's a little storefront at 120 West Walnut that, you know, you can rent to have a bar mitzvah or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's also a nice space. So that's where they're doing the one acts. Tickets are 15 to $20. You can find out more about Theater Collective on Facebook. Fayetteville, the Sona season opener is Saturday night. That's right. I Yes. And they have a new executive director. And they have a new executive director. Ben Harris. Ben Harris. Yeah. The season opener is Great Romantics, which brings together Rachmaninoff and Leonard Bernstein. At 7.30, it's at Walton Art Center, and tickets start at $36. Right. And in Fort Smith, mm-hmm. Fort Smith Little Theater is doing Arsenic and Old Lace, my single very favorite forever all-time play. <laughs> is this the last weekend for it? This is the first weekend. The first weekend, okay. 7.30 tonight and tomorrow night, 2 o'clock on Sunday, and then again the 27th through the 30th. Tickets are $12. The Fort Smith Fall Festival is Saturday all over at the Fort Smith National Historic Site, at the Trolley Museum, 
There's an arts and crafts fair. There's arts and crafts at the Clayton House, 10 to 4 on Saturday. Most of it's free. Mm-hmm. And on Sunday from 2.30 to 4.30 at the Dallas branch of the Fort Smith Library, there's a chocolate festival fundraiser. As near as I can tell, it works like all the chocolate festivals we're used to up here in the Northlands where you get your box and you fill it. Mm-hmm. It's $10. It benefits the library. And come back Sunday because JBU is doing the play that goes wrong. And there's a little bit of news about a merger between a couple of arts organizations in Bentonville. And when you say come back Sunday, let's let people know that you mean go to the paper on Sunday. Go pick up your copy of What's Up. All right. um, We'll do this again next weekend. How's that? Oh, I think we should. All right. Becca Martin-Brown is the arts and entertainment editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. This is Ozarks at Large. Just ahead, we continue our conversations with musicians entered in the Arkansas Tiny Desk Contest. Robert Bishop talks with Ashton Barbary about the song she entered, The Doorbell Rang, and about how her cat Biscuit helps her with her music. That's just ahead. On Monday's Ozarks at Large, Dr. Lena Howe led the team at Harvard that figured out how to slow and eventually stop light. She was on the University of Arkansas campus yesterday and during her time here came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio to explain that to slow light, first you need a cold sodium cloud, a very cold sodium cloud. Super freezing cold. It is uh, temperatures uh, on the order of a millionth to a billionth of a degree above absolute zero. Death and taxes might be constants, but turns out the speed of light isn't. The remarkable story of a major physics breakthrough on Monday's Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 p.m. on 91.3 KUAF and on the Ozarks at Large podcast. Dozens of Arkansas musicians entered the 2023 NPR Tiny Desk Contest, a nationwide search for unsigned talent. Arkansas's three NPR member stations collaborated on a series of conversations with the artists who entered this year's contest. Here's KUAF's Robert Bishop. This is Robert Bishop, KUAF's music manager, and I'm joined by Ashton Barbary. Thanks for being here. Sure, thank you so much. So the song that you entered into the competition is The Doorbell Rang. Yes. Um, Is there a story behind that, or like what's the... Yeah, so this story, it's actually, um, this song is about something that happened about 10 years ago, and it's taken me a really long time to write about it. Um, But whenever I was 16, like the morning of high school graduation, my like boyfriend's dad at the time knocked on my door and it was like kind of dusk, like barely morning, kind of still night. And my boyfriend had passed away oh my God. in a car wreck and I was just completely shocked. And so that song has a lot to do with the shock of finding out you've lost someone you love and processing it and the room kind of spinning and also about how you process that as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some lines in there about, I did some things that were childish because I was a child. And yeah. it really like was a very reflective, kind of heavy, deep song that I decided to be vulnerable and open up about. Wow, that, I mean, that's, yeah, that's quite a story. <laughs> and 
Well, it's interesting you say that because while I was listening to it, I got that sort of um, that somber vibe that I would hear in Regina Spector. I love Regina Spector. Where, I'm so glad you said that. Well, yeah, it's. I mean, it's really great. It's that sort of like piano, sweet, somber vulnerability. Yeah. Um, and as soon as you start playing, I was like, man, I really dig this. Thank you uh, so much. And in your video, I saw your cat. <laughs> biscuit, right? Yeah, Biscuit. Uh, what does Biscuit think about it? Do, do they, he or she? Oh, yeah, Biscuit's a girl. Biscuit's a girl. Does she get involved in the songwriting or sit in your lap? So she, she's really interesting. Whenever I sing, um, like, certain notes, she'll, like, come to me like I'm in danger. And I think it's really funny. Sometimes when I'm writing, I'll just, like, it'll just be me and Biscuit hanging out. And I'll just, like, laugh out loud because sometimes her ears look like she has sonar or something mm -hmm. and she really listens to the music yeah. it's interesting well, that's cute how, how long have you had biscuit <laughs> um i got her from a local rescue last february okay yeah so she's a little new yeah she's okay. new and i'm so cute I'm a, I'm a cat guy myself so you know, she has I, an instagram I, oh really what's it called life of a biscuit life of a biscuit okay we'll have to check that out <laughs> so how long have you been playing so I first started playing music um, when I was in middle school. So it's been about 10 years, which okay. is really crazy. Um, I started off with some of my friends in middle school playing at the farmer's market, and mm -hmm. we made a band called Farmer in the Markets. That's good. So yeah. a lot of people kind of feel like they watched me grow up because mm -hmm. I was the little kid with ukulele at the farmer's market for many years. <laughs> so did you start on a ukulele? Or yeah. Okay. Well, I, I originally started on piano, um, like in elementary school, and I learned classically. But... I, I always kept that separate from like performing. Mm -hmm. So just recently I've started involving the piano in like my original songs. I've yeah. always kept those in very separate places in my mind. So it's been fun to bring my real first instrument out. Yeah, well, I mean, you're doing a great job. I, I love piano. I don't think a lot of people play as much piano. I know, I, I really um, miss it. I'm wanting, I'm planning on like writing and recording quite a bit on piano mm -hmm. soon, so. So do you have, like, what's your uh, kind of discography? Do you have a couple uh, EPs or, or records? Or? Yeah, I released a um, EP in 2018 um, when I decided to, like, write my own songs and start going by Ashton Barbary. Before that, I was kind of accompaniment musician doing harmonies and learning lots mm -hmm. of stuff. But I released the album in 2018 with six songs um, that I recorded in Nashville. And then just last year, I released a full length. And then there's some live singles um, sometimes when I do a music video that was live and I really liked how it sounded I'll release that audio as a mm -hmm. single so there's some stuff like that out too okay and is, is the song that you submitted for Tiny Desk is that on one of these it's or? not out okay. yet I'm wanting to record it properly I in that video I was trying I just set up a mic in my computer and mm -hmm. I really don't know how to record properly so I only had one mic for my voice and piano and I think two mics would really be ideal for Maybe that. Maybe so, but I think it sounded great. It really did. It was very clear. Awesome. Well, I do want to record that song soon. I just thought maybe someone could help me make it sound a little nicer. Yeah, sure. You get a uh, producer or an engineer. Yeah, I mean, even if it was just something stripped down with piano and vocals, that would be fine. Mm -hmm. Just someone who can do it. Yeah. So when it comes to you know writing and recording, do you write a lot about the things that you have experienced or do you write about things that, um, you know, maybe daydreams or things you want to experience? Like what's the... So 
Any song that I write, I try to pull myself in in different ways. Um, sometimes I end up doing projects where I kind of have like a prompt. Like I'm doing some stuff for Arts and Letters and KUAR coming up soon where they've sent me a book and I'm writing six songs about the book. Okay. And when I do stuff like that, I'm a little more focused on their story, but to be able to write from my heart, I end up pulling in personal situations mm-hmm. into it so that it, it feels real. Um, I really like being vulnerable and sharing personal stuff, but with the prompt, sometimes it's someone else's story as well. Sure. What's a, I mean, I think that's a really good way to do it where you're, you have that prompt, but then pieces of yourself. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it. you have to, yeah. like, if not, you just, I feel like you can't even sing it if you don't have a little bit yeah. of you in there. Well, ultimately writing about, yeah, what you know or where you come from is kind of the, the real way. Definitely to get, safer. Yes. <laughs> well, it's also the way to find some truth. Yes. You know? Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your connections to the state of Arkansas? So I've been here all my life and, uh, my mom and her side of the family is all actually grew up and lived on the same road in Southern Arkansas and El Dorado. So I have a long history of family ties here. Do you remember the name of the road? Oh, uh, it's like old Cedar tree road. Old Cedar tree road. <laughs> is there still an old Cedar tree there? Yeah, there's yeah. there's some big trees and it's it's that's actually the road I learned to drive on too because okay. I was bored one time. What what was the car? It was a Ford Focus. Okay. Nice. Uh so we kind of talked about um you know Regina Spector a minute ago, but I was curious about what other artists might influence you in your music. So, growing up, my mom would let me listen to KXUA and KUAF, I couldn't hear like pop radio and stuff because mm-hmm. she wanted me to be like well seasoned. Um, and then we also had vinyl of like Bjork and Hank Williams, um, Fiona Apple, uh, Portishead. It was kind of a yeah, variety okay. of stuff, but I think hearing all, there was a lot of kind of um, eccentric female vocals mm-hmm. that I heard in different formats, like Joanna Newsom too. Um, and I, all of that I think shaped how I sing and write now. Yeah. Man, that's a great little list you, you put together right there. Um, and thank my mama. Man, she's got good taste. Okay, so before we go, how can people hear your music and where can they kind of get updates on any performances? So if you want to hear music anywhere you uh, buy or stream music, you can look up Ashton Barbary. Um, and then if you want to come to an upcoming show and hear it in real life, it's ashtonbarbary.com slash tour. And I also keep okay. events on Facebook and Instagram and whatnot. So. Good luck in the contest. Thank you so much. Three Arkansas favorites are set to grace the stage chosen by our panel of judges from over 40 entries. Get ready for performances by Common Roots, a folk ensemble from Fayetteville, Lead Pipe Conservatory Band, a folk pop band from Harrison, and Ethel Tamara featuring Concrete Rose, an R&B band from Helena, West Helena. Join us on Friday, October 13th at 6 p.m. at the Hall in Little Rock for Arkansas Tiny Desk Contest 2023. For tickets, visit littlerockpublicradio.org. We will continue our conversations with musicians involved in the Arkansas Tiny Desk Contest next Friday when Sophie Narani sits down with David Moody. This week, we heard Robert Bishop talking with Ashton Barbary. This is Ozarks at Large. KUAF is a community resource that we all share. It's built on facts and engaging reporting. It's built on dialogue that strengthens connections and mutual understanding. It's built to be here for everyone, wherever and whenever they need it. 
if you care about a free press approaching the world with curiosity and communicating with civil discourse, it's time for you to support KUAF. Join thousands of your neighbors in building up this community resource right now when you make a donation at supportkuaf.com. And thanks. And thanks again to all of you who support your Public Radio Station 91.3 KUAF, our annual autumn on-air fundraiser begins Monday morning at 6. Thanks to everyone who has contributed so far this month. And to those of you who are sustaining members of KUAF, thank you so much for your continued support. You can support us right now online at supportkuaf.com. Thanks again. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Ginger Blue, Missouri. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors today included Michael Tilley, Daniel Carruth, Robert Bishop, Sophie Narani, and Becca Martin-Brown. Additional assistance today provided by Matthew Moore, and additional reporting heard on today's show came from the news team at Little Rock Public Radio. And yes, a reminder, beginning Monday, October 2nd, we'll be on the air In central Arkansas, Ozarks at Large will join the KUAR weeknight schedule every Monday night, every Monday through Friday night at 7 p.m. We'll still be on every Monday through Friday at noon and 7 on 91.3 KUAF. Our theme is titled The First Hurrah. It is written and performed by Daryl Sean. Daryl's most recent solo record is titled Still Here. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'll be with you Sunday morning at 9 on KUAF for Weekend. Ozarks at Large. From the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio at the Carver Center for Public Radio, thanks so much for being with us. Have a safe and great weekend. The Momentary in Bentonville presents international pop artist Rina Sawayama with Express and Disco Cowboy Saturday, October 6th. Celebrating her newest album, Hold the Girl, this concert is part of The Momentary's Live on the Green concert series. Tickets at themomentary.org. KUAF is supported by Hendricks College. With the Tuition Advantage Scholarship, admitted first-year students will pay no more in tuition at Hendricks than the published tuition and fees rate at their home state's public flagship university. Hendricks.edu slash tuition advantage for more.